Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Uh, do you want to make friends? I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me, at Jim Kramer. In bull markets, people find reasons to buy everything. Buy, buy, buy. Even if they're for the wrong, or at least antithetical reasons. And that's how you get the S&P and NASDAQ up 1.22% and 1.15% respectively, closing at 52-week highs, and the Dow surging 429 points, not far behind them. Today's session illustrates that we still have a normal, run-of-the-mill, garden-variety bull market going, despite tough talk from the Fed. It's clearly not done raising rates. The Fed can't just, it can't stop the thing. All right, the bullish setup. Let me explain. First, we have an important event. In this case, the Fed's meeting yesterday. There are tons of investors who fear anything, event, any event, anything like this, because there always could be a negative surprise. So they just wait and wait and wait. They don't do anything until they see what is said. Yesterday, there was also another camp that completely freaked out at what the Fed said during the press conference and blew out of a huge amount of stocks in the average. Once the meeting was over, though, and we have a little more time to process what was really said, other sideline investors get anxious and they find reasons to put their money to work. And that's what happened today. Oh, they got the reasons. Or maybe even they make up the reasons. And today, the purchases, well, let's just say they were done with reckless abandon. I say that because, again, the animal spirits right now control the buyers. And they can just as easily craft a story about buying any stock they want. So let me give you some of the storylines I saw, ones I embraced today, with the caveat being that even a bull like me is taken aback by the strength we got in the wake of what's already been a terrific run. First camp of buyers I saw, okay, yesterday the Fed said it was going to have to talk tough, right? Wasn't that the whole theme of what we heard? Because inflation's still hot. So we might have several more rate hikes to go. But the buyers in this first camp, guess what they think? Bye, bye, bye. They think Jay Powell, they think Jay Powell is bluffing. 
They think he's bluffing. They think Jay Powell won't do what he says. He won't raise rates to the point where he's crushing the economy in order to save it. They figure the Fed's simply talking a tough game, that its bark is worse than its bite, and it's not merciless enough to truly bring on the pain. The house of pain. These buyers went to work picking up industrial companies that would be in much better shape if the Fed blinks and, stop, and truly does stop tightening. When an economy is unimpeded and allowed to run free, you buy stocks of companies that make things and do stuff. You've got to remember the most important one, the most probably the one that typifies, exemplifies, I don't know what the best way to say it, is Caterpillar, which is levered to growth of all kinds. Cat does well if there's road construction, and we have about a trillion dollars worth of road construction coming thanks to the flood of infrastructure spending from the federal government. Cat does well if there's more oil drilling, and if the Fed's truly bluffing, then inflation could flare up again, then maybe we will need more oil and gas. That, at least it'll certainly raise the prices for them. Cat does well if China does well. We know there's still one more Chinese stimulus package replete with lower rates, albeit smaller cuts, that could lead to projects that need Caterpillar tractors. You need the machines to mine for copper and other non precious metals, and you need the machines to build all those new data centers for artificial intelligence, not to mention the new domestic semiconductor foundries that will make us less hostage to China and Taiwan. I like to use Caterpillar as an example, not just because we own it for the travel trust, but because normally its stock gets hammered when the Fed cracks down on inflation. This time, though, there are enough people who no longer believe the Fed's tough talk. They're convinced the rate hikes are really done, that it wasn't just a pause, wasn't just a skip. And therefore, you got to buy cat for the long haul. And that's how this stock at $206 a few weeks ago can close at $247, up $4.37 just today. Of course, there's also a considerable bet against CAT because the bears think the numbers will prove to be too high, given that we're heading to recession. But they're being overrun. And they may have no choice but to buy back their short bet against CAT before they lose their year on this one. Oh, there were many cats out there today, though, that were running free. But we are seeing too many shorts and we're seeing mass capitulation. Then there's the second camp, okay? This is the camp that's the opposite camp, frankly. It's actually the antithetical camp. These people actually take the Fed at the word. They're not going to stop tightening until they crush inflation. So what are you going to do? you got to circle wagons around the companies that thrive in low inflation, low growth, or even negative growth scenarios, like Eli Lilly and Johnson & Johnson. See, Big Pharma is more or less recession-proof. Lilly has the potential for not one but two blockbuster drugs, and we're talking more not really mega blockbusters. The first is Munjaro. It's a treatment for diabetes that doubles as a weight loss pill. It'll probably get approved for weight loss pretty soon, though many people are already taking it off-label. There will also be trials for lowering blood pressure and for cutting down on heavy drinking because it can cut down your craving for alcohol. Now, we really don't know how it works, but here's what it does. It makes heavy drinkers feel like it's 8 a.m., not 8 p.m., meaning it isn't time for a drink. Lily has a ton of money, and it's putting up factories to produce this drug like there's no tomorrow. I think it would be the best-selling drug of all time, thanks to the obesity epidemic. Then Lily has an Alzheimer's treatment that I think is just as good, if not better, than Biogen's. That's next year's business. J&J, they got a series of valuable drug franchises, but on top of that, there's the medical device business. It's now thriving because there's a huge backlog of people going to the hospital for non-urgent surgery now that COVID's been conquered. How strong is the buying? Well, given that J&J stock has been battered for a year by accusations that they knowingly sold talc with asbestos in it, I think the buying here is a strong statement that these people feel the Fed could do more damage to the economy, so it's worth the risk of the lawsuits just to own this otherwise very safe company. 
Hey, you know what? I, you can straddle both camps. We own Caterpillar and Lilly and J&J for the Chapel Trust. I believe in diversification. If you want to know more about how diversification really works, please join the investing club. We just convened a huge online meeting about these topics. The third camp. This is the third camp, and this one was very exciting right here on the floor of the exchange. This was it. The third camp says that today we just have one of the most successful IPOs of all time with Mediterranean restaurant chain Cava coming public and doubling right out of the gate. Don't you want to double? We have a Cava down the block here on Wall Street. I told you the other day, the office loves it. There aren't, by the way, the people in the office, they're not the only ones who like it because the line's consistently out the door. Turns out this Mediterranean food is loved by many, not just regionally in the Mid-Atlantic, but nationally. That's the best kind of long-lasting restaurant story stock. So it made sense to double right out of the gate. Although I told you, you know, you got to be careful. Remember, when you catch a double, I always say you ring the register. But the buyers, you see, the buyers who are in this, well, the ones who are drawn to Kava, you know what they're really drawn by? They're drawn by FOMO, right? They know money's being made, and they don't want to sit it out. Look for a slew of hot deals now that Kava's come out to shoot. This is an advertisement that says, come back to the casino. Come back to the casino. It's mesmerizing. It's hallucinating. It works. Final camp, the money managers who bet that this market has to go down because we're supposed to go into recession, right? And they are really dying. They are co- they're short Caterpillar, like I mentioned before, and now they realize that those short positions are going to wreck their performance for the year. They're running out of reasons to be short, and their clients are running out of patience with them. The one group that's not being bought aggressively right here is tech, because those tech stocks have already had a huge run, and some people feel that they've peaked. I think that makes sense, but... I still think tech can at least tread water while other groups play catch up. And I don't expect tech to suffer long because, for instance, we just had an amazing quarter from Adobe, which many people were short because it had been going up for a long time. And we had a beautiful quarter from Oracle where people are still shorting it. They're crazy. We're going to speak to Adobe later tonight. They make me very confident that we are not done with the phenomenal tech quarters. Bottom line, when you put these four often contradictory groups of buyers together, you can get a magnificent run across the board like we had today. Ultimately, maybe only one camp can really be right. But in the interim, as the bets are being made, almost every kind of stock is going higher. Eric in Michigan. Eric. Jim, how are you doing today? Eric, I'm telling you, every stock going higher kind of makes me like the market. What's going on? Well, good. I'm calling on Uber today, Jim. I had a question. I knew it hit a, hit a new 52-week high today. I wanted to get your short and long-term outlook on the stock. Do you think we can continue going higher? Yes, I think that Uber has – look, Lyft reported decent numbers, but I think Uber has a number of things going for it. And you know what? It really did kind of win, and I like a winner in a space. Uber triumphed. Why? Great management. All right. Everyone who's buying in the market recently, well, it's looking like a genius. Sooner or later, not everybody will be, but right now, ka-ching, ka-ching. Oh, man, mighty tonight. The EU charged Google with anti-competitive practices in the ad tech business yesterday, so I'm checking in with a smaller ad tech player that competes with them. Cradium, get a better sense of what could be happening. Then Lenar painted a rosy picture for what's to come in the quarterly report. But should investors take some profits after today's pop? Or maybe let it ride? I'm digging the story. And Adobe reported after the bell. I'm going to go through it and find out what it means for Adobe and for the whole market with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. 
follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand. NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Now let's clear the Federal Reserve's definitely not finished raising interest rates. You know what we should do? We should be circling back to the great secular growth themes that can work even in a slower economy. I mean, themes like the rise of ad tech as digital advertisers go to great lengths to make sure they're spending their money as efficiently as possible. Which brings me to Critio. That's a French company with a platform that connects advertisers with media owners. This is a stock that's surged nearly 30% year-to-date, could be a quick 10% gain since the government put in a really solid quarter in early May. So what is the value proposition here? Let's take a close look with Megan Clarkin. She's the CEO of Cribio SA to learn more. Ms. Clarkin, welcome to Mad Money. Good to be here. Good to see you, Jim. Uh, I think your company is fascinating. As someone who started a website 25 years ago, I sure wish that I had been involved with you. Perhaps you can describe why you call yourself the commerce media company. Because we are the commerce media company. We're an ad tech company, so advertising technology, as you know. We focus on connecting the buyers and the sellers. And we're particularly focused in on commerce media. So that's ads that are appearing on commerce sites, retailer sites, service provider sites. And so we connect them with the buying community. And that's why we call ourselves the commerce media company, right in the center of that world. Well, at the same time, today is a very important day because you launched a site that I think would be terrific, this Commerce Grid, which is uh, the yes. first, the, you call it the first supply-side platform that provides unique access to your unrivaled commerce shopping system. But I like to say, why should I use it? And why should I use it, say, instead of the all-powerful Google? Well, look, Commerce Grid is about bringing to life or shining a light on all of the ad inventory that sits on the commerce sites or retailer sites so that the buyers can see it. Because one of the biggest problems right now for buyers is that they can only really see the big players. So they get through Amazon, they get through Google, they get through Meta, 
And then they have to really search for the other commerce properties, the other retailer sites. And so Commerce Grid really brings that to one place. It solves for that fragmentation problem. It lights it up and makes it easier for the buyers to find commerce audiences and inventory on retailer sites. Okay, one of my absolute favorite companies by far is Costco, okay? Rich Glanty's the amazing CFO. And they're always saying they've got to do much more to make their website better. Would they be someone who could call Critio and say, help us? Well, the good news is that Costco is already a client of Critio. It's a really important client for us. And so for them, it's about lighting up that commerce opportunity on their site. And so we work really hard to help facilitate that for them and take them along that journey. But Costco, along with, uh, with um, Best Buy, along with Uber, who we recently signed, are all really good examples of, um, of those players who are in the re- retail sector or commerce sector who are now looking at media or selling advertising in those sites as a really significant form of, uh, of revenue for them. All right, so today I went on because I saw Walgreens as one of your customers, and at the top of the Walgreens site was an ad for to buy Coca-Cola. It wasn't an ad to buy Walgreens, it was Coca-Cola. Is it possible that that could be a Critio ad? It's possible. It's possible. So on those sites, we serve both ads that are relevant to the site or clients to the site, the brands that actually are, have products in the store, or we sell non-endemic ads, so ads that are relevant to the consumers who might be in the market to buy, for instance, they're maybe buying luggage, but it might be a great place for a travel advertisement, something like that, where it's quite relevant to the commerce audience, to the person who's on that buyer journey. And that's part of the magic of commerce media. Okay, so uh, a lot of the retailers I deal with are trying to get you anywhere you can. They're not just happy to get you on the website. They want to get you in brick and mortar, too. So if I'm an omnichannel retailer, just Critio offers me a good bargain proposition. Well, we recently acquired a company called Brand Crush, a small company out of Australia, to start to connect ourselves from the digital experience to the uh, in-store experience. And the reason why is that our clients told us that one of their biggest challenges is how do they connect their data from the in-store world, the on-prem world, to the digital world? How do they make sure that they can follow the consumer's journey all the way through that omni-channel experience? And so we're leaning into that area to make sure that we can service those clients as well and bring a experience uh, for their consumers all the way from in the store, in the home, and on the digital side as well. All right, so I want to understand, uh, you represent these retailers, uh, but if I want to place an ad on the retailers, I could use you too. Is it fair that you represent both sides? I know the Attorney General, Assistant Attorney General in our country, thinks that it may not be fair that Google represents both sides. We service our clients, and what our clients are looking for is a platform that enables them to easily buy, uh, buy, buy inventory from the publishers, and our publishers want us to bring demand, not just a little bit of demand, but all the demand that we can find, meaning brands and agencies to buy across their sites. And so we're producing an agnostic marketplace in which they can easily trade. In the case of Google, Google, I mean, Google um, is dominant. They are so dominant that when they do things like that, they can shut out others. And I think the issue um, that we're seeing is where they're shutting out others. For us, we're, we're, we're a small player. We're focused in commerce media. 
we're servicing the marketplace to bring more um, dollars into the marketplace. And to do that effectively means that we service both sides. Well, you have um, an unbelievable client list, a brand new product, and I'm glad you're there because we need as much competition as possible. I want to thank Megan Clark, and she's the CEO of Critio. It's really great to meet you. Thank you for coming on the show. And you, Jim. Thanks so much for having me. Nan Money will be back after the break. Coming up, home is where the heart is. How about the cash? Kramer lays the foundation for an investment with a builder. Next. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselcumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clear skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clear skin at 16 weeks were still clearer at 5 years. At one year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. Want to know why the Fed can't stop worrying about inflation? No further than the terrific home builder Lenar. It's one of the biggest and the best in America, and it reported a fantastic quarter last night. We know the cost of shelter stubbornly keeps rising pretty rapidly, as we saw in yesterday's CPI, which is one of the reasons the home builders have been such terrific performers. When you look at the SB Home Builders ETF, and that's called the XHB, it bottomed roughly a year ago. It's now up roughly 50% from those lows. Lenar. It's up more than 90% over the same period. As I've told you before, this is an absolutely unprecedented move. When the Fed's rapidly raising interest rates like it is, the home builders are supposed to get steamrolled. Mortgage rates go up, people stop buying, housing prices then come down. That's how it's always played out, but not this time. This time, the home builders have rallied almost 50% during a period where the Fed has raised interest rates by 425 basis points, for heaven's sake. The mini banking crisis didn't put a dent in this industry either. It is insanely resilient. That's certainly what Lenar confirmed when it reported last night in a very important quarter. This company continues to do very, very well. In the three months ending in May, Lenar's revenue came in 11% higher than expected, while they earned $3.01 per share. Wall Street was only looking for $2.33, and that is what I call a colossal beat, and is why the stock soared five bucks today. Five bucks! When you drill down the operating metrics, they're tremendous, too. Deliveries of more than 17,000 homes when Lenar was guiding from just 15 to 16,000. It's a lot more homes. Average sales price came in nearly six grand higher than anticipated. Companies' home-building gross margins clocked in at 22.5%. That is a full percentage point above the high end of management's guidance, despite all the things that people are supposed to be worried about. You know, like they're worried about House supply chain pleasure. management. They're worried about raw costs, but no. House of pleasure. Looking to the future, Lenar's new orders came in at 17885 That's more than 1200 above what the analysts were looking for. New order value, orders were valued, they were only supposed to be at $7.71 billion? 
the real number turned out to be $8.17 billion. These are gigantic beats. I, I found them breathtaking when I read them. Only the backlog came in a teensy bit light, and I think that's fine. Best of all, though, Lenar's not terrified of an impending recession. They're not worried that the housing bull market is on its last legs, like so many others are. When you look at the guidance, management's clearly feeling very confident about the future. For the current quarter, they're talking about new orders of 18 to 19,000 homes. Do you know the street was only looking for 15,300? For deliveries, new home sales, they seal the deal on. Management's talking about 17750 to 18250 Again, the street was only looking for 16500 These are monstrous numbers. For the full year, Lenar raised its deliveries forecast substantially. 5,000 units higher at the midpoint, well above what analysts were looking for. They say average sales price for the current quarter will be consistent with the period they just reported, which is terrific news for the home building industry, but obviously awful for a Federal Reserve that's trying to get these home prices down. The Fed wants prices cheaper, not staying elevated. Management also talked about a major uptick in gross margins for the full year, 100 to 150 basis points higher than what they just reported. They're making a lot of money per homes. In short, Lenar's business is on fire, and these guys clearly believe it'll stay on fire at least through the end of the year. On the conference call, Executive Chairman Stuart Miller, his father, founded the company. He's one of the best in the business. Painted an incredibly encouraging picture. Again, for a home builder with Fed tightening, listen to this. Quote, during the quarter, we continue to see the housing market normalize and recover from the Fed's 2022 aggressive interest rate hikes in response to elevated inflation. End quote. Miller went on to say, quote, as consumers have come to accept a new normal range for interest rates, demand has accelerated, leaving the market to reconcile the chronic supply shortage derived from over a decade of production deficits, end quote. In other words, not making enough houses. We have just been not building enough. We have not been able to come anywhere near demand, anywhere between 2 million to 7 million homes people think we don't have enough of. And without a recession, well, let's just say we're not going to solve the problem. Putting it all together, Miller makes the situation crystal clear. Simply put, he says, quote, America needs more housing particularly affordable workforce housing, and demand is strong when price and interest rates are affordable, end quote. As I've told you before, Lenar's strategy is to meet prospective buyers where they are in terms of price. They want to be consistently moving houses. They work very hard to avoid having too much inventory at any given time. That's what really depresses the price of homes, by the way. So if demand softens a bit, they're happy to compromise on price. They just don't want a lot of inventory. The strategy is clearly working. Lenar's selling many more homes than expected and pricing solid, even as the average price is down roughly 10% from its peak last year. Hey, that's some good news for the Fed. 10% is definitely, though, not enough for Jay Powell. He wants housing prices rolled back much more, given that home building, well, let's say that home builders have not committed to overbuilding. It won't be an easy task. Speaking of encouraging signs on the inflation front, Lenar's home building gross margins were incredibly strong. Management attributed that to cost reductions, a welcome addition to the story. I expected this quarter to be good, but I didn't think they could get the costs under control like this. I thought management would still be griping about the cost of labor or raw materials, but uh, they were just bragging about getting their selling general administrative expenses down to just 6.7% of revenue. Previously, they got it for 72 to 7.4%. There wasn't a line that these guys... It's breathtaking how good this Lenar is. It's breathtaking. Frankly, it was just a simply flat-out great quarter. And I think Lenar can keep working its way higher, even as this is the last thing the Fed may want to see. The most important part, though, they talk about the new normal, a situation where we're long gotten over COVID, where we're less fixated on the Federal Reserve because they'll probably only hit us with a couple of rate hikes anyway. And the Fed's latest rate hikes haven't had any impact on long-term rates, which is what matters to the housing industry because that's what mortgage rates are priced off of. Long rates peaked last October, and they're still down pretty substantially from their highs. 
Why? Because bond buyers are terrified of a recession, which turns out to be the best of possible worlds for a home builder. In this new normal, whether we're neither COVID nor the Fed can dominate the conversation, what matters is we simply just don't have enough homes to sell. No wonder Lenore can keep putting up terrific numbers. In the end, we have way too many potential home builders and home buyers and not enough housing stock to meet demand, thanks to zoning restrictions and other anti-construction attitudes that, let, that tend to proliferate among local governments because existing homeowners, taken as a group, don't like anything that might make their homes less valuable. More on that later in the show. So the bottom line, I have been recommending the home builders for ages, right through all these rate hikes. And after what we heard from Lenar last night, I think this rally's got legs. You've got my blessing to buy this one, although you might want to wait for market-wide pullback, given the fact that the stock is up five points today. Sure, the Fed wants to crush housing. I get that. But apparently, it doesn't seem to have the firepower to make that happen right now. Only more homes, lower rents, and higher unemployment can make, can make that happen. And the Fed can really influence the latter, which is just one part of the equation. No wonder houses are up 40% in value from 2019. There's just not enough of them to go around. Dave in Illinois. Dave. Dr. Kramer, good day in the market for a change. How are you? I like this market very much, Dave, particularly because you're on the phone talking to me. What's going on? Jim, home builders have been previously under pressure with 15 consecutive rate hikes. Now they are rebounding a bit from the Fed's last pause. 30-year fixed rates have come down to around 6.5%. At $39 billion market cap, this stock is also a good value, just under five times forward earnings. Of course, I'm talking about D.R. Horton. So, Jim, up now up 5% in just one month. How do you see DHI going higher from here? Dave, I think that the home, I never thought I'd ever say this to you or anyone else, but the home business is no longer cyclical. The home business is dependent on the fact that there's far fewer sellers than there are buyers because of a series of things that happened during COVID. And D.R. Horton, as you know, can go much higher. All right, look, Lenore was up five points today. I like this stock. I don't like to come in up five. Maybe you wait for market-wide pullback, but boy, you got my blessing. Because you know why? Because I think we don't have enough homes and the rally still got legs to it. Much more mid money ahead, including my post earnings exclusive with the soaring stock, Adobe. Let's speak to the CEO. Hey, by the way, in this quarter, all eyes are, of course, on AI. I'm seeing it as a needle mover already for the software kingpin with the company's top brands. And what's it take to get the shelter inflation to be a little bit better versus what we just heard with Lenar? I've got answers. Plus, all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. In this market, any company with a legitimate argument its business has been improved by AI can be rewarded with a much higher stock price. That's what I'm thinking about as I see Adobe, which closed at a new 52-week high, continue to roar in after hours trading after an amazing quarter. The digital media marketing software kingpin just reported some magnificent numbers after the close. Solid top and bottom line beat, strong guidance for the current quarter, and race full-year outlook to boot. At the same time, management had some terrific things to say about their new generative AI platform, Firefly. But don't take it from me. Let's Check in with Chantan Narayan, the always bankable chairman CEO of Adobe. Get a better look. Look at this quarter that was amazing. Mr. Narayan, welcome back to Mad Money. 
It's great to be uh, back on your show, Jim. In this world of generative AI, I'm actually really on your show. Yes, you are. And one thing that's amazing is, John, I've got to tell you, so many people are saying, Jim, this AI, you're overdoing it. It's not going to make a lot of money. I think since March 31, I have never seen more activity, more profitable activity done at Adobe in such a short time because of AI. The innovative roadmap, uh, Jim, to your point, has been truly awe-inspiring. Uh, we have not only introduced Firefly, uh, where we've had over half a billion uh, generations uh, that have been created so far, but in addition to that, uh, you know what we've done with the interfaces that people use, whether it's generative fill in Photoshop or whether it's generative recolor in Illustrator, that's where the excitement is. And we introduced a brand new Adobe Express as well that's also integrated Firefly so that everybody, whether you're a smaller medium business owner, whether you're the largest enterprise in the world, or whether you're a kindergarten student, can now take what you have in your mind and quickly create what you want to create. Well, there's some great works that you say, and the line that I like best about that is you say that this is both great for productivity, and I think people are starting to get that, but also for magic. Give me some magic, Shantanu. Well, what we now do, uh, Jim, both in Photoshop as well as in Firefly, is you can describe what you want to do. And the computer, as you know, the term that's used in generative AI is it hallucinates. And it is almost like you can focus exactly on what you want the output to be. And the computer does this magic. And uh, so often as I've been playing with it, I tell myself, how did it do that? And so, you know, it really is this sort of uh, incredible co-pilot or agent on your behalf uh, that's able to understand what you're trying to accomplish. And before you even uh, have the desire to do it, it does it for you. I am told of small and medium-sized business people I know, I know in my own life, who would have something that might take two weeks to do with a dress, two weeks to do with a swimsuit. They can do in hours with Firefly. The productivity gains must be outstanding here. It absolutely is, Jim. And part of the conversation that everybody has associated with this is this going to replace human ingenuity or is it going to augment human ingenuity? I think it's actually going to make people so much more productive. It's going to bring so many more marketing folks or small or medium businesses into the fold in terms of saying, we have this creative idea and now we can use the tools even more easily to create it. And so it really is about this accelerant. It's about more affordability and it's about more accessibility. And Adobe has always, always won when we solve problems and we allow more people into the field. You are the first person who said cost. You said this actually going to keep down costs. A lot of people like Larry Fink, who's terrific, are saying, listen, we might be able to save a little money because of AI. You think this can be done superior product and in many cases cost less. That's absolutely the case. Uh, and, you know, we have demonstrated over the decades that we've been in business uh, that we can actually not only increase our top line growth, but the bottom line. And that is exactly the way all enterprises have to think about it, which is how am I making all of the content that I'm creating? And most companies are probably creating five times the amount of content that they created in the past. How can I make that more efficient? If you're a company like CNBC, we can take all of the assets that you have 
we can tweak the Firefly model so that it's exclusively for CNBC. And then you can use that now to create any variations or personalizations that you want to create for that. So without a doubt, it actually helps both the creativity, but it also helps the automation and productivity. Did, did you know six months ago that you could issue a product or at the end of March that would have a half a billion generations? Here we are on June 15th. It really has overwhelmed, you know, us, uh, Jim, in terms of how quickly the adoption has been. I think we were excited about it when we first saw it within the company. Uh, but the customer response, the customer sentiment, the way the community has actually uh, rallied around it. I mean, you can go on any of these social media sites and people are spending all day looking at what people are doing with generative fill and Photoshop. So we are so honored. Uh, where the community has embraced the technology, they've embraced how we've gone about it with respect to making sure it's commercially safe and thinking about the intellectual property. And, you know, today's a, another great day for Adobe because not just because of that, but it's the 30th anniversary today of oh, the day on which back. we released EDF. Exactly. So let me ask you, how did, how did it last 30 years? How come it's as fresh as when it was first invented? Well, uh, today is the anniversary of Acrobat, Jim, uh, and John Warnock is actually uh, in the building today and he's going to speak uh, to the vision that he had about how he wanted to change how the world was able to communicate and share information. Uh, he saw the internet coming before the internet had really exploded. He understood this intrinsic desire that people have about sharing information. And we could not be more proud of the impact that we've had. We have trillions of PDFs. Uh, that actually represent the wisdom of the world. And uh, the fact that Adobe has played a role in this is just so inspiring. Well, I, I just, I, it's 30 years went by very fast. So I remember when it came out, a lot of people thought that it would not be as big a game changer. It turned out to be as big as almost anything that's ever come out of software, hasn't it? It really has. Uh, it really has. And it started with humble beginnings. And I think uh, the creativity on the monetization as well to make the reader ubiquitous and make the reader accessible for everybody and on every single device was so fundamental to the success that we've had with Acrobat and PDF. Well, one last question. I didn't read anything about the macro. Are, is the product, are your products just overtaking the macro because they're so exciting and important right now? Well, digital is a tailwind, uh, Jim, and, you know, irrespective of what happens in the macro, uh, people are going to invest in digital because it is transforming life as we know it, work, play, and entertainment. And, you know, a company like Adobe, we just have to focus on continuously driving innovation, and we're building the company for the long run. And so even if they are macro blips, it's not going to change the fundamental trajectory of Adobe. No, it sure isn't. This was a great quarter. It's going to be an unbelievable year. And you're the first person I have seen, I'm not kidding, that has taken this product and run with it in a way where people are going to be looking back and saying, that guy understood what could be, what could be done with AI. Shanti Narayan, chair and CEO of Adobe, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Jim. Always a pleasure. And congratulations on an amazing quarter. Man, buddy's back after the break. Coming up, what's in your mind, Kramerica? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. It is. 
first round proposal of the same same as something I said we're going to play this up. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve? Dad, throw the lightning round. Let's start with Brandon, New Jersey. Brandon. Hey, Brandon, Jim. what's going so, on, partner? What's happening? Yeah, well, I made a website which uses uh, ChatGPT to rank stocks. And uh, it's called Stockle.ai. And the number two stock on Stockle right now is Earthstone Energy. And I was curious what you think about it. Um, well, I, I, well, I appreciate Chad. I mean, there are so many better oil companies than that one. Let me start with, say, uh, why not Pioneer? I, why not Diamondback? Or why not Kotara? They're all better than that one. I, I appreciate Chad, but Chad ain't that good. Let's go to Chad in Virginia. Chad. Hey, how you doing, Kramer? I'm doing well. How about you? Doing great. Doing great. Hey, so recently congestion tolls were approved to be used in New York City at the end of this year. And maybe this could be a template for other cities to follow. What's your thoughts on Barrow Mobility symbol, D-R-R-M? I am intrigued by this company because they offer all sorts of packages like that. It reminds me of when I first saw that thing when you went through the, the uh, you know, going over a bridge and you saw the thing with looked at your license plate and you didn't have to pay the toll. I like what these guys have to say. I want them on the show. Barrow Mobility must be on the show. Let's go to Bob in New York. Bob. Hey, Jim, uh, first of all, watching you three guys in the morning, it's a great way to start the day. So I just wanted to let you know that. Uh, Jim, two things about Microsoft. Number one, what do you think AI brings to the revenue line for Microsoft? And second, I spoke to you about a year and a half ago, and I asked you if you put Microsoft in the same category as Apple. Own it, don't trade it. And your answer was yes. When you look at the Kramer pantheon of stocks, what happened to Microsoft? Well, Microsoft's been a winner. Uh, it's just doing incredibly well. It's just very big. Here's what's happened with Microsoft, by the way. They are the number one place that people feel most comfortable working with chat. Why? Because they put the big investment in, but mostly because they put it through almost all of their different brands. And that works very well. Some people have only put it through some brands. Microsoft has been very smart, and Copilot is apparently an amazing, amazing product. I got I to gotta learn. I don't know how to be a pilot. I'm going to be a co-pilot. I'm going to do everything. Let's go to Nathan in Texas. Nathan. Hello. Kramer? Uh, yeah, Nathan. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of Carvana? Okay, there's two things. There's two Carvanas. There's Carvana, the company, which I think is incredibly overvalued. And there's the Carvana, the stock, which is so overly shorted that it keeps going higher. Those are two different things. You pick which one you believe in. Let's go to Vince in Ohio. Vince. Hey, what's up, Jim? First time caller from Cleveland. Big booyah. Man, Cleveland is the uh, fourth fastest growing city in America. How do you like that? Not bad, and we got good weather. The stock I'm calling about today is PBR. I know you like energy companies and a little dividend oh. attached to it. Oh, I thought I like PBR. A nice cold PBR. Uh, now, here's the problem with PBR. The, the fact that it's located in Brazil, it's, it's an un- imbalanced country. I would be a seller of PBR. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer goes around the horn. A top-to-bottom look at inflation, the economy, and your money. Next. Look, you can't blame any of the hawks on the Fed for feeling just incredibly frustrated. Yes, lots of goods and services are actually getting cheaper. According to the CPI data we got earlier this week, May was the coolest month for inflation since March of 2021. 
looks to the surface, right? But there's a glaring problem you look underneath, excluding food, which is higher, and energy, which is much lower. The CPI is up 5.3% year-over-year, which is still pretty darn hot. Certainly more, much more alarming than the 4% headline number and well above the 2% number they'd like to see. The culprit? Well, it's actually one particular area, and it's the shelter index, which is up 8% year-over-year. The cost of shelter now accounts for roughly 70% of the real inflation in this country. While the CPI doesn't include the cost of buying a house, it does measure rent. The cost of rent staying stubbornly high, though it's slightly improved year over year. There's something good. Vacant apartments are now filled in 38 days, up from 32. There are eight prospective renters for each unit, down from 11. Ooh, okay, but not enough. The pandemic and the elimination of the state and local tax deductions created an imbalance pretty much everywhere when it comes to shelter. But the main thing pushing rents higher is the lack of affordable new homes for renters to naturally gravitate to. So prospective renters keep bidding up the same rents. And this is why the Fed has every reason to be fearful. It's also why so many on Wall Street are dead wrong when they expect that the Fed will be able to cut rates by the end of the year. That, that, no, J-Pals is not going to do that. They're not. They need to be afraid of this kind of inflation, because while we hear lots of anecdotes about how the consumer is feeling pinched, that's certainly not what their bank accounts are saying. Bank of America is very granular with this data. They have 68 million customers who are still doing way better than they were before COVID, in the aggregate at least, and they have 40% more in their savings accounts than they did pre-pandemic. That's an awful lot of money. And therefore, it takes a lot of time for them to burn through that money, uh, especially when credit quality remains as high and delinquencies remain as low as they are. That means fewer evictions, fewer bankruptcies, two things that normally create more vacancies at this point in the business cycle, albeit in a brutal way, but it's not happening. Second, though, is an astounding figure that looms larger than anything else. As the great Home Depot told us in its terrific analyst day, home prices are now up 40 percent since 2019. Now, that has created $13 trillion in value, and we should cheer that. That all by itself. Uh, and Home Depot is terrific to talk about it, but Home Depot also admits that it's extremely inflationary. So the Fed does have plenty to worry about if it ever wants to get the cost of shelter under control, and it must do so if everyone wants a reasonably priced roof over their heads. You want one, I want one. I think that is really an part of the country. First, as Lenar told us last night, we just aren't building enough homes. We're on track to build only 1.4 million homes this year. You know, it's actually down 300,000 units from last year. Why? Because the home builders fear a recession just like everybody else. They figure all these rednecks would crush demand. But that only happened for a couple of months before demand snapped right back. Second, we have so little inventory away from new homes because 40% of owner-occupied homes have no mortgage at all. And of those with mortgages, 80% have rates locked in at 5% or below. Those folks aren't likely to sell because they'll end up trading their cheap mortgage for an expensive one. What could roll back the ridiculously high cost of shelter? Ideally, we get more supply, but we're not seeing a major wave of ability, and that's what we need, given that we've got a massive housing shortage. Again, as I said earlier, could be anywhere from 2 million to 7 million units. The Fed can't solve the supply problem. Every time they say something hawkish, the home builders just hunker down, then they build fewer homes. At least Lenore was willing to say that they might not do that. They're getting a little more courageous. What about demand? In theory, the Fed can tamp down demand by creating huge job losses, only with massive firings. Will renters move back in with their parents, taking them out of the market? If we get higher unemployment on top of student loan payments coming due again, that might make a major debt in demand, which is the only thing that realistically is going to push down the cost of rent. If renters move back in with their parents and rents become more reasonable, that will create excess inventory and end the inflationary spiral. That's how they can do it. 
But for that to happen, the Fed needs to keep bringing some pain. The house of pain. They need to engineer millions of firings. And so far, the rate hikes haven't done much on the job front. And that would cause the recession that we do not want to see. Look, we have a free market economy. The Fed can't just ask the home builders to crush their own profits, nor can they tell the landlords to cut tenants some slack. All the Fed can do is make people poorer by continuing to hike interest rates. And that's exactly what they're going to do if they want to slay the real inflation drain, the shelter we all deserve. But increasingly, we can't afford I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Disclaimer. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselcumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clear skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clear skin at 16 weeks were still clearer at 5 years. At one year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. Tremphia.